Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Roundtable Show. This is episode 252. It's our live roundtable show on Fridays at Pacific Standard Time. And um, we've got a full panel here. We've got some um, regulars and we've got uh, somebody that doesn't join us too often, but it's always uh, a friend of the show. And I'm going to let um, Brian Jackson introduce himself first. Off you go, Brian. Oh, um, yeah. So my name is Brian Jackson. Um, I'm currently the director of inbound marketing over at Kingsta, where we offer premium managed WordPress hosting. Um, and then I do a lot of blogging and plugin development stuff on the side as well. That's great. Um, I'm going to let Tom, I'm going to let Tom, uh, introduce himself. Off you go, Tom. Okay. Uh, yeah, my name is Tom McCracken. Um, I'm the director of an interactive agency called level 10 and also the lead developer on a product called intelligence for WordPress. That's great. And I'm going to let my uh, great friend John Locke introduce himself. Off you go, John. Excellent. My name is John Locke. My business is Lockdown Design. It's SEO for manufacturers and other blue-collar industries. I'm, uh, I'm going to let Mendel introduce himself. He's been very, very strange towards me this morning. Off you go, Mendel. Uh, well, I'm just hanging out. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm Mendel. I uh, work at GoDaddy um, and uh, work on the pro uh, pro program there. Oh, look, I'm right set up. I was upside down, right? Anyway, um, uh, excited to be here because uh, y'all are a bunch of nerds and so am I. So. Yeah, that's great. And, oh, and, and it's snowing in Austin, by the way. Oh, yeah. my godfathers. Yeah. Wow. Um um, to finish, uh, I'm, I'm stunned by that. Um, um, Morton, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, I'm Morton. I'm an uh, instructor at LinkedIn Learning and Lynda.com. And I am here today. So You look worried that you actually came on here, actually, Morton. No, no, I'm fine. No, yeah, yeah, I, I don't think I can be after what you, a week you've had. So there we go. Uh, um, so... Um, so before um, we go into the show, I just want to talk about our fabulous sponsor, which is WP Intelligence. And what is that? It's a fabulous plugin to allow you to easily use something that we all struggle with, or I feel we struggle with, and that is Google Analytics. It's a great plugin. You install it. Um, it provides an enormous amount of added um, um, intelligence about what your Google Analytics does, and it just makes the whole thing a lot more pleasurable and understandable. So if that sounds interesting, and it would be interesting to me if I was listening to this, go to the show notes. There's a link there. It's totally free, and you'll have a great time with it. So on to the first part of the show, which is the news section. And uh, I thought we'd start off um, with Matt Manoweg's State of the Word 2017 and who wants to start off with that please somebody start with that you're all muted oh uh, <clears throat> yeah you forgot like chris we have one more person on the panel so. oh right oh God. sorry oh i forgot my fault sorry um chris i apologize chris would you like to introduce yourself Sure. My name is Chris Badgett. I'm the co-founder of Lifter LMS, which is a plugin that makes it possible to create, sell, and protect engaging online courses. And I'm super passionate about WordPress and teaching online and happy to be here. Yeah, he certainly is. And he's a brave man as well. Uh, um, so um, on to the main, like I say, um, what Matt had to say at WordPress US. Anybody want to start off with that? Please. <laughs> <laughs> all right fine whatever uh i'll do it um yeah i think it was cool uh yeah um it wasn't it wasn't a huge departure from uh from what we've seen in the past it wasn't a surprise if anybody was surprised by it they 
They were, um, they've been living under a, uh, a community rock for the past, um, year, but, uh, um, some, some interesting conversations I had around, uh, that state of the word was just, um, uh, it, people, people are concerned about the future of the project or more, more importantly, um, interested in the future of the project, how it's going to impact their business. Um, I've heard, I've heard conversations about forks. I've heard conversations about excitement for Gutenberg. I've heard conversations. Um, a lot of people, Morton's name came up a lot. People were like that Morton guy, he's really been outspoken. I'm just kidding, Morton. Um, your name didn't come up at all. Uh, but, uh, but, but I, um, like there, there's a lot of questions, you know, is this going to affect, is this going to affect builders? It's not going to affect builders. Um, what about the theming industry? Uh, like, well, I'm, I'm ready to ride the train. We ride it, see where it goes. Um, if it goes someplace weird, then, uh, then, then we'll, um, we'll find something better. But right now it seems like the best thing out there. So. Yeah, I totally agree with you, actually. I, I think you, in some ways you're spot on with your analysis. Now, Morton, how how did you find it, Morton? Uh, I think once they... <clears throat> so for those of you listening who did not watch State of the Word and have no idea what we're talking about, the majority of... And I'd the, like to point out there's some naughty panelists on this show that didn't watch it either. Yes. Uh, so every year at WordCamp US, Matt Mullenweg, who's the leader of the WordPress open source project, does a talk called State of the Word, where he sum summarizes what's happened to WordPress over the past year. And in previous years, he's shared stats about the community and a bunch of other stuff. And he also talks a bit about what's coming up. But the majority of the talk this year was about Gutenberg, which is the new... Um, the new interactive data layer that sits on top of WordPress or will at some point in 2018 that completely changes the way we build content inside WordPress and the way we build uh, themes, plugins, and everything else um, that interact with that content. So that's the context in which we are having this conversation. Um, the, I think what's interesting, what they did right in that presentation was to spend as much time as it did on the live demo. Because although there are people in the community who have either been paying attention to what's going on or who have um, uh, tried to play around with the existing beta plugin, no one has really seen the combination of all the different pieces that have been worked on at the same time. So what they did was take all the little beta projects that sit under Gutenberg and smash them into one and demonstrate them all in conjunction with each other. Uh, and what became very obvious from the conference as a whole was even people who are in the WordPress community and who are deeply involved with uh, the community and with the ecosystem and everything have been reluctant to try Gutenberg, likely because they tried it early on, so maybe April or May last or this year, at which point it was just broken and didn't work at all. And they've kind of pushed it off and said, I'm not touching this until it's ready. And they're only now realizing, oh, it's actually progressed really far since then. And this is not what, what it appeared to be before, which was an editor replacement. It is actually a complete rewrite of how WordPress handles content, both in the editor and everywhere else. So what we saw was this, uh, or at least from my perspective, what we saw was this um, dramatic shift of um, thinking around the Gutenberg project within the community that was present at the event from this is something that might happen in the future that I'll look at later to this is something that's actually happening and it's not going to go away and I need to look at it right now and figure out how our business uh, is going to thrive under this new uh, paradigm. And the State of the Word talk did a really good job helping people bridge that gap. Now the question is, if people inside the community only really got it at WordCamp US, which was last Saturday, we have a huge problem with the 
multi-million people outside of the community who use WordPress every day who still don't even know that this exists and who won't know until it ships because the genuine, the genuine, like the standard reaction from everyone was, whoa, this is totally different. I need to spend time with this. But that was just the 2,000 people in a room. And the people who are going to watch that talk are also the people that are heavily involved. The rest of the people who use WordPress will not have seen this. And all our efforts now need to go towards informing the rest of the world that this is happening before it happens so they can get on board. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Just a quick follow-through question. How did you, how, what was your own feelings about your own presentation and how it went down? I don't remember what I said. I have to go back and rewatch it. All right. I think given fine. I mean, I, I can't really comment on my own presentation. I can say that the... Well, I wasn't asking. I was asking about the feedback that you yeah, got. Yeah, the, the feedback I got was what I expected, which is uh, because of how Gutenberg has been presented for how it presents itself and how it's been presented, the genuine, the general understanding of it was that it's an editor replacement, but that is not what it is. Yeah. And that's what I was hammering in at that talk was editor is step 0.5 or step 0.1 of a much larger process that will eventually take over the whole view. And you can't think of, of Gutenberg inside the editor uh, which is what's happening right now. Everyone's saying things like, well, you know, you can just confine it to the editor and then disable it if you don't like it and all that stuff. But that stops WordPress from developing further. It was never about the editor. They just happened to start there. And uh, hopefully people are now starting to see that you can't think of it within the confines of the editor box. It has to be thought of as something that's going to grow bigger. Um, and that's where all these plugins and themes and... Uh, page builders and all this stuff has a role to play, but the role is totally different from what it was before. Yeah, um, I just wanted to comment, and then I think we go on to the next story because it's totally related to this, um, is that fundamentally, I, I thought it was a very slick presentation myself. Matt normally does, is not a very effective communicator. Um, I thought the, um, which, the other part, which is normally the, how it goes, is the question and answer session I I thought that was quite fascinating and how he dealt with that. Um, in um, With the live, I totally agree with what you said, Morton. Um, the live demo was um, done really well, qu quite brave to do live demos. And overall, I thought Matt did an excellent job. Um, so I think we go on to the next, the next story, which is um, from Tony Perez. Um, Gutenberg, the impacts it's has on the WordPress business ecosystem. Anybody, um, what about you, John? Do you want to start off with this? Yeah, definitely. And <clears throat> this ties in definitely. I, I, I think that um, this article looked at the changes that are coming to WordPress with, um, I don't want to say cynicism is too strong, um, but just kind of a, a mindful eye. And um, I think what Morton was saying before is, is very true. I think the people who make themes and plugins are well aware of, of how Gutenberg will affect WordPress itself. And one thing that stands out in, in this article where he said, if you, if your product exists to make the WordPress experience easier, then the changes that are that are going to come in the in the coming year and and years to follow will be impacted uh, by this. So that's something to be aware of. So, yeah, thanks for that. Anybody? Um, what about you, Brian? What did you think of it? Um, I mean, the whole Gutenberg thing. I've always been surprised by the community's reluctant to change. I'm. <laughs> I've always been, ever since I saw Gutenberg, I was excited. Like I've been excited since day one. Sure. There's been like little holes and things. I don't know what's going to, how it's going to work yet or something. Um, but the whole, uh, people should take beta for what it's called is beta. Um, and so it was funny, um, to see articles coming out, uh, I guess you could say, you know, slamming Gutenberg. And then like um, that Morton was just mentioning now, like the focus is going the other way. People are now like seeing it again and they're coming back. And now it's almost like um, a positive spin all of a sudden. So it's, it's uh, weird to, to see the uh, WordPress community's reaction to it. Um, the two plugins I personally sell, 
don't really deal with the editor at all. So I'm really not personally worried or really that involved with my own plugins. I think uh, people that are doing more page builder stuff, things in the editor um, around content um, are probably, you know, looking at this at, um, very closely. Um, since day one, I always, um, when I first launched it, I launched like the very first beta. So like it was just at that time in the text editor, like that's all there was. Um, and I thought of immediately thought of like how medium does their content writing. And while I love WordPress, I always thought medium got the content writing part, right? Like it's so enjoyable to write an article on medium compared to writing it in WordPress. Um, and when I saw Gutenberg, I was like, Oh my God, this is going to be amazing. <laughs> so for me as a writer, um, and writing is something I do every day. I think it's going to make my life so much easier and I'm actually really looking forward to it. Yeah. Before I go on to Chris and Tom, um, I just want to quickly, um, I think there's, I was going to use the word negativity, but it's not that because there's two part um, it, concerns. I think um, why, why so much, there's two parts, two camps around the express concerns about this whole project. And there's the concern about um, how the thing was developed and how the decision making process was done connected to this major um, step forward and um, the data that was used to make the decision and the um, the decision hierarchy that um, controlled the decision making there's that part the second part is I think um, if you're a web a freelance web developer theme developer and you've been getting a lot of your work um, as a subcontractor from agencies um, what I know of how a lot of agencies work is that they're not all of them. Um, it's a sweeping statement, but I'm just going to do a generality is a lot of them are very price conscious and especially with their subcontractors. And if they can have the possibility of cutting out a subcontractor on some of the work, they do it. And, um, I think a lot of freelance developers that are in that sector, and it's a big sector of the market, feel a bit threatened. And I think rightly they should feel a little bit threatened, um, maybe not as threatened as as it really works out. But um, that's my general view. What do you think, Chris? Is he still with us? Chris, come in. Chris? Are you there? Well, all right. Let's go on to, to oh Tom. What did you? What got any thoughts about this? Um, sure. Yeah, actually, um, the talk was interesting. It was very slick. But two of the things that um, coming from a world where everything is about content architecture, I'm I'm, I'm wondering where does content architecture? It looks like you're going to have to come up with completely new patterns. Either you're going to not deal with content architecture, or you're going to have to come up with completely new patterns of dealing with that in Gutenberg. Um, and it seems, what I think it's interesting is um, this idea of going after, you know, the, 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 what was talked about in the article um, of achieving the, the BHAG of 51%, that means you're going after a lot of basic brochureware websites. Um, you know, tra sites that get no traffic, they're not looking to build results. And I think one of the things that's awesome about WordPress is it's fantastic for websites of people who want to get results. They don't want to do basic things and just have a word processor online. You know, there's, there's tools out there to do that. They actually want to get traffic. They want to convert. They want to sell. Um, and so what I wonder is, I think almost would be, if it was me, I think, uh, you know, I would take the approach of I'd like to get 51% of the top 100,000 websites or the top million, not all the, all the low liars. Let them go to just the page builders. And so that's the thing I don't know is, you know, I, I've seen what the power is for, you know, clients will quickly outgrow the need for just an online brochure and they want to start having structured content. And I'm not sure how that's going to get done um, in, uh, in something like, um, in, you know, in something like Gutenberg, it might get figured out, but I think it's going to take a while and there's gonna be a lot of work to figure that out. I think that's a fantastic, uh, very insightful, actually, Tom, thank you so much for that. Um, wh what did you think, Chris? Chris, are you there? I can see you, Chris. I'm here. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Sorry. Um, for me, one of the things, especially from Tony's article, was uh, just in terms of how it impacts the industry, I think there's a leveling up happening where um, premium products and themes that are exploiting a gap in the market, uh, an inefficiency, are going to have a harder time than the ones that are, you know, really adding innovation on top of the WordPress foundation. So for a long time, themes and some plugins have been doing things to bring in visual building and uh, a better front end experience. But um, it's just a, it's a thing that happens in business and in the industry, you can only exploit a gap in the market for so long before, you know, the, the majority kind of catches up. So I think it's important when evaluating how a, uh, your approach to what is your unique value proposition? Are you exploiting a gap in the market or, or an, a, a temporary inefficiency? Or are you truly bringing innovation? I think that's what this Gutenberg um, moment is, you know, kind of shining the light on. Oh, yeah, I, I think that's really great. Um, I'm just going to ask Morton, I thought Tom's um, insight to this, Morton, just to wrap this part up, Morton, was very insightful. Would you pass any comments what Tom said? The answer is yes. None of this has really been considered. <laughs> it, it, it's, uh, By the way, uh, Morton's talk was that everyone was talking about it. Um, the next day, like that, everyone I said, what's your favorite talk? Everyone, everyone talked about Morton's talk. Yeah. And, the, well, thank you for that. Uh, I think it's up so people can watch it and judge for themselves. It's up on WordPress TV now. Uh, the, one of the big challenges that we are going to face <clears throat> right now is, or in, in the past, next year is we need to figure out how uh, to evolve WordPress's data structure to fit more with what Tom was talking about, which is proper content architecture and hierarchy. Because right now, WordPress works on a content blob that has all the content inside it, and then possibly a meta settings blob that has all your custom uh, fields in it, which is completely crazy because that's not how we should be handling data at all. And we're, uh, sorry, uh, Gutenberg has a potential of handling that problem very cleanly. However, it doesn't do that right now. Um, the only thing Gutenberg does currently is the majority of your blocks will just end up being in the content blob, just like it is now. And then if you make a repeatable block, the repeatable block goes in a repeatable blocks content uh, custom post type, but then all your repeatable blocks just goes in a custom post type that's called repeatable blocks. So you'll have to know which ones it is and do a search inside that and your custom post type to find the right one. And if you have a lot of repeatable blocks, it'll get really unwieldy to manage. Now, the, res the response to that will probably be putting in categories or something like that on them. So it's just, there is a huge discussion around architecture that needs to be had. There's also a huge discussion about whether or not we should use Gutenberg as the platform to uh, re-engineer the backend of WordPress and figure out how to handle that properly. That was never done before. The concern has always been that backwards compatibility blocks it, but I think there are ways of getting around that problem, uh, most likely by literally forcing um, a platform shift at 5.0. So you say, if you want to stick with old WordPress, you get up to 4.9.x, but you don't get any further. And then from 5.0 onwards, we upgrade PHP versions, we clean up all the crap that's inside uh, WordPress core that shouldn't be there anymore. Uh, we basically start fresh, re-engineer the data structures and do everything and then produce some sort of conversion layer that allows old data to go into that new landscape. Um, that has been pro proposed before many times and it's always been shot down just because of backwards compatibility as like an absolute, we we're not having this conversation because backwards compatibility. Considering what Gutenberg is trying to do, this is actually necessary to get where Gutenberg wants to go. If we don't do it now, It'll never happen because once we're, if Gutenberg version one rolls out using the data structures the way they are now, there will be no drive within the community to change it later. So we're at a pivot point here where you know some very tough decisions need to be made by a lot of people, and then they need to follow through with them and just force change forward. Uh, whether or not that's going to happen is impossible to say at this point, uh, but 
the, what Tom was talking about can only be solved if we actually re-engineer WordPress on the back end. Because otherwise, Gutenberg is just a shiny UI layer on top of what WordPress is right now, and it doesn't solve any of our problems. Right, yeah, thanks for that. I think we also um, we move on to the last story, and that was uh, you shouldn't put all your eggs into the WordPress basket interview interviewing creative minds ceo david rash rash the rash t i'm sorry i apologize if i butchered that man's last name i apologize um anybody want to start off with that i'll jump in and the one thing that i took out of it um well, the two things, the, the lines where he said uh, the, the two things that WordPress can learn from Magento are pricing um, to be sustainable, to allow developers to invest time into their support and maintenance and code review, uh, meaning that every extension that gets submitted to Magento's marketplace goes through an extensive code review. And I think the free plugin repo uh, and, the, and the theme repo uh, have definitely allowed WordPress to grow to the market share that they are now. But that is a problem that I, I think everyone here has encountered where uh, there are plugins that uh, just get abandoned out of the free repo because uh, the person maintaining them just doesn't have time. So, well, we were having a little bit of that conversation with a client yesterday, weren't we, John? Yes, we were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, I'm happy to have a slight little conversation about that. Um, I'll just ask Tom about that because you know you got your got one foot in the WordPress and one foot in the Drupal world. Um, I don't know if you had the time to read the article, Tom, but um, how did what's you got any thoughts about what John's just said? Um, as far as how the how like the contrib repo works, yeah, yeah, you know it's interesting because that's where. One of the areas I think, you know, there's so much that's similar between Drupal and WordPress, but I think the one of the things that's different is that there's a lot more collaboration. So sort of like, you know, people create these sort of free, their modules, but, you know, plugins. Um, and if there, and then people say, well, is there already something out there that's similar to that? If there are, we want to get those people working together. You know, and maybe if there's, if they're a little bit different, two different approaches to something, they'll let them compete for a while, but eventually we'll say, hey, how can we make the most out of this? And then really what ends up happening is each new version of Drupal, for example, every, you know, certain things that people are using a lot of end up going into core. Um, and so that's why we've got things yeah. like fields and views and all this kind of stuff into core. Um, and what's interesting is, you know, with the way the WordPress it is, it's, and you know, it's interesting coming from in like the Drupal world, it's somewhat, it's a, there's a much bigger learning curve, but it's actually easier to manage modules because there's so much core framework there where in the WordPress world, there's, these modules are very monolithic and they've got, to re, they've got to rebuild a lot of framework to work. And then there's just a lot to keep maintained. Um, and so I think it's, it's, it's tricky. And you've also got, you know, you've also got, I think, more entry-level people that are trying to use these things that need higher support. Um, and so I think there's a lot of challenges with, you know, that approach in the, um, you know, in the, in the WordPress uh, contrib uh, uh, repository. Um, what did you think of the article, Mendel? Did you manage to read it? Uh, yeah. So, um, couple couple things to to level set. WordPress is the most vibrant community of um, functional plugins for small business and um, and uh, small design developer shops in the world. There's there's none better, in my opinion. Um, and uh, and the community ecosystem is is the best um, as far as as far as open source projects. Um, that's that's fact. Um, the the plugin repository, uh, the free plugin repository, is actually um, much better than uh, than Drupal's in in many ways, um, and uh, and and much better than um, other uh, other projects, not um, not in functionality, but in usability for uh, for end users, um, and <clears throat> I think that's where uh, WordPress excels, um, and I think that's where it, it, it needs to keep excelling uh, to to enjoy additional um, market growth. Uh, that that being said, Drupal's ecosystem is awesome. 
their community is awesome. And, and the, um, and the, the plugin repository is great too. Um, not discounting that just saying for this particular type of user, the small business user or the small design developer community, it's better. Um, that said, there, there, there probably is a need for certifying plugins, but probably I would suggest in a different way. So instead of certifying all plugins or every time a plugin is uploaded, it goes through a review process, um, a, a, a host, a large design shop, some, uh, some you know, collective of, of contributors should um, get together and create a certified plugin program um, that, that basically completes a code review, completes a security review, and that, that particular plugin is listed as, as a reviewed and certified plugin within the repository. Whether or not that will happen um, would be probably a pretty political um, issue. Uh, Drupal, um, because Tom brought Drupal up, they, they actually do a much better job of giving credit to companies, organizations, and contributors that, um, that, that contribute things like code reviews or uh, core patches and things like that. Um, they, actually, they actually provide um, recognition. Uh, that's something that, uh, that, that WordPress has been slow to adopt and may never adopt uh, given uh, some of the competing priorities between, uh, let's say, ecosystem players. Um, so, uh, so that's what I would suggest as a step forward for, um, for, for things like uh, free plugins. But overall, uh, it's, it's, the best, it's the best open source content management system project uh, out there, uh, it's uh, as far as the breadth and depth of, of plugin offerings and how compatible they are um, and updatable they are with uh, with the project. That, now, that might be controversial, but uh, that's... No, uh, I'll just give, before we go for our break and get into the main subject, um, I thought that was a very insightful uh, look at at the situation my only comment about it is that um i've not really done almost nothing in the drupal world but um i did a bit i was involved in the for about three to four years in the expression engine world and what's interesting is um how these different platforms handle these situations in the expression engine world at the time I was involved in it, it was very unusual to get a free plugin um, that anybody really, there were some, but they normally had very minor functionality. Almost all the plugins that you used on a website, you had to actually pay for them which is a very different model to what Tom has just expressed in the Drupal world. It, you know, um, that, that seems very different to the expression world. And then I think you've got a kind of halfway house with the WordPress world where you've got a lot of free plugins, but you also got a vibrant um, paid plugin world, you know, which is Brian is part of as well. Um um, but I do agree with you, and we've discussed this before on the show, that um, your idea that um, there, there seems to be the need to have a kind of secondary market where plug-in and theme um, producers could get their um, themes and plugins certified and keep them certified, and they would get some award, a badge, of certification that has been checked over, which they would have to pay for, but they would also get um, benefit from. But like you say, for political reasons, that doesn't seem to uh, want to fly. But there we go. So first of all, uh, one of the things that was mentioned at State of the Word that got overshadowed by other things is uh, there's a new project called Tide, like oh yes, yes. Raising the tide for all some water reference or dishwashing liquid, whatever. <laughs> uh, 
which is going to start uh, auto-reviewing all plugins for code quality. Um, I think the main uh, system now is going to just give plugin authors feedback about what's their, their horrible code quality, but over time it will do more than that. So there is an actual process in place. Secondly, uh, an attempt was made a couple of years ago to allow for community reviews and all that kind of stuff. It was a complete disaster because, and it was so bad that they actually pulled the entire project. And it was because WordPress is infested with uh, nepotism and uh, popularity contests. So what ended up happening was awful, awful, awful solutions were promoted over very good solutions. This was in the theme repository. And it got so bad that it had to be pulled out completely because it was just exploited vigorously by companies who wanted to get high ranking. And it was truly shocking to watch how bad it got, how quickly that happened. And it's just because, you know, a lot of people are involved in the community and a lot of people want to make money. And if you provide some sort of platform for people to uh, take advantage of a system, they will always take advantage of the system. It's not because they're bad people, it's just because the system is not built to, like, it, the system assumes everyone is this altruistic person who will just like only do the right thing. <laughs> but everyone is like, no, I want to make money. So I'm going to do whatever I can to make money, right? There's nothing wrong with that. It's just the system was designed in a very flawed way. That's why it's not going to happen in, in uh, any yeah. functional way. Now, to the article you're talking about, I could not disagree more with his statement that you should put your eggs in as many baskets as possible. Every single successful WordPress business has done the exact opposite. They've figured out a case first, like what is a problem we need to solve the best way possible and then built the best product for it. And usually what they do is they end up offloading users off WordPress to do it, right? Look at security, look at uh, Gravity Forms, look at uh, Manage WP, like all these things that actually have massive success are because they went in and said, this is a genuine problem. We need to solve it in the best way possible. How can we put all our resources into solving that problem? Now, if you're starting out and you want to figure out what problem you should solve, you can make a bunch of really functional but simple plugins and ship them out and see which one takes off. And then once you see one that's successful, then you funnel all your resources into that one plugin and build something large out of it. But the key to it is you have to start with a solution to a real problem. Like th this approach that says, uh, I'm going to build a bunch of plugins and earn money is not actually how it works, right? You have to start with, I'm going to solve a problem. And if I solve that the best way possible, people will want to pay me for that solution. That's how you make money. Yeah, I just want to quickly respond and then move on to the break. Um, fundamentally, the first part of your answer um, is yeah I, I was aware of what happened to the theme i my my response to that is that it was the way it was designed and handled it was a disaster um what i'm suggesting is that they only concern themselves with code quality and security and you get the to get the badge it was this whole thing where you ended up in you know you ended up on the top and then you could sell a million of your theme this is was the whole problem with that um and i'm sorry to you know you're probably right for because because of how that ended in the disaster which it was it, it probably for understandable reasons those that run wordpress don't aren't too keen to get involved with it again but i think they're wrong basically but there we go and the second part um yeah I, I see where you're coming from you know um but my only response is that business isn't like black and white Morton. there's a kind of gray area where you know people there's different ways of doing business in a way but in general i would agree with your your second point as well so we're going to go on to our um break folks we'll be back we're going to be talking about getting success with affiliate marketing we'll be back in a few moments folks do you want to spend more time making money online? Then use WP Tonic as your trusted WordPress developer partner. They will keep your WordPress website secure and up to date so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages, page layouts, widgets, updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with full, no question asked, 30 day money back guarantee. So don't delay. Sign up with WP Tonic today. That's 
wp-tonic.com, just like the podcast. We're coming back. We've had a lively discussion. I think it's been respectful and interesting and an amazing panel. Um, so we're going to start about affiliate marketing and, um, and how to be successful with it. Let's start with um, Brian, because I, I know you've got a fair bit of experience with this, and I asked you to come on the show because of your experience around that. Would you like to dis- start off the discussion, Brian? Uh, yeah, sure. I think, uh, like, we have an affiliate program, obviously, at Keensta, um, and then I have an affiliate program for our, our premium plugins, which aren't on the repo on purpose because of our earlier things I've mentioned in the earlier discussion. Um, but the... Oh, before we go off, I just want to ask you about that. Was it a difficult decision not to have it on the free, you know, decide not to do that? Um, I mean, I think that's a, a decision every developer has to make at some point when they develop with WordPress. Like, you want to go to the freemium model push people to your premium product and try to take advantage of the traffic and all the eyeballs on the repository? Or do you want to go just premium on your own site, lose all that traffic and take longer building your plugin? I think that's kind of, yeah. there's advantages and disadvantages to both ways. Right. We just think, do yeah. skip the repo and just do it ourselves. And I can say after it's been about a year and a half now since we launched our first plugin, uh, we couldn't be happier with that decision. It's right. just a lot of time and headaches. And everything. Oh, that's great to hear. So I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, I apologize there. Oh, no, that's fine. On, on to the affiliate. Um, as far as the affiliate stuff goes, what I've seen, um, and in past companies, I've been involved with affiliate programs too. And I've always seen like the top 5% of your affiliate earners are gonna what is what's going to earn you all your money. The other 95% is just going to be complete crap. <laughs> um <laughs> So it's finding the 5% that are really like, they believe in your brand. They probably use your brand um, and they'll take extra time out of their um, schedules, you know, to help promote you for free. Um, I think that's really the, um, the challenge is finding those 5%. But once you do um, the affiliate programs can really skyrocket your program. Um, And of course it's, um, in my opinion, it's way better than pay-per-click, which can sometimes be just a money drain if you're not doing it correctly. Um, so affiliate programs, you know, technically they're free other than the time you have to put into them. Um, and then people literally market your, your um, product or plugin for free. So it's, it's really a win-win in most situations. Um, I was going to ask you um, a follow-up question. Um, it's linked to the kind of professional online marketer that, you know, the, there's these courses and these um, whole areas where people promote, I would say train people so they can make a living by promoting affiliate products. And then there's whole kind of infrastructure of people that talk about, they make a, a, a secondary living or a main living by just, promoting affiliate products i'm not too sure about all that um um what's your feelings about that or is it you think that's just a load of nonsense really i i mean i guess when i come to that i i guess to each his own um like i run my my workup blog as well and i i do participate in affiliate programs so i'm not only just involved with creating affiliate programs, but I also involve myself in earning, you know, some of my living from making money yeah. off of other people's products. The way I take it is I only advertise products I actually use and like, and don't feel bad telling people to like, go, you should go buy this. Um, there are lots of people out there that, you know, if a company pays them 400 bucks, they'll give them a positive review and they'll start um, earning money off their product with their affiliate program. Um, they don't care what the product is. They're just going to put it on their blog and go with it. Um, I, I really. Yeah. Well, I was going to, well, I, I didn't express my question those type oh, of sure. people. Do they get success or, or is, or is it really somebody that really utilizes the product and has, you know, is like you, you, you only promote something that you know, that's decent. I, I think the people that are getting success, cause I know some people that do, that method of like, they go at as many affiliate programs as they can. Um, and I think they have success if they know how to build traffic 
yeah. and they know SEO and they know how to get all of those types of different products seen. They might not use any of them that well, um, but they might dive into them at first or have another writer dive into that product to explain it well enough to market it to somebody else. If you're a good marketer, you can kind of almost sell anything <laughs> to be honest. So I think the people that are successful at that are probably good at marketing SEO or a combination of both. So you've got kind of two camps, really, haven't you? You've got these kind of pro-marketer types, and then you've got the other people that might use the product but are but emotionally invested with that company, and they promote it. And exactly. they've got, they've got yeah. a voice in whatever community it's in. Exactly. And some people might think those people are diluting the internet, which is probably true in some case, but I think everything is so diluted at this point. <laughs> I don't know how it could get much worse, to be honest. What, what, what's your thoughts about this, Tom? Um, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I was thinking of our last topic. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, as far as, you know, most of the inf- information products that we've done have been much more around uh, building funnels for selling bigger things. So they're teasers into things. Um, and... Um, you know, I think a lot of it, you know, it's just uh, what's important is to um, use content marketing. Um, and then, you know, what we like to do is start with a, a good general product that will uh, entice people that are in the research stage of the buying cycle. Um, and then uh, using analytics to figure out um, what other types of topics are people interested in, what types of teaser books that we can go after. And so I think it's, that's, you know, it's a, uh, one of the things that's important whenever you're kind of going after this, that realize that a lot of the people are coming to a website, they're in the research stage and you need ways to kind of capture them and nurture them to get down to a purchase. Um, and so if you are selling, uh, in fact, like one of the things that we did is we actually sell an ebook that we have and we put on Amazon, it's like five bucks or something like that, or you can get it for free, you know, by, you know, getting into our, uh, in, uh, you know, subscribing to our, our uh, email list. Hmm. Uh- What's your feelings about your affiliate marketing, John? You know, what, I don't know if you've done any or, you know, you've helped people, you know, got any views about it? Yeah, definitely. And I agree with Brian. I mean, the people who succeed at affiliate marketing are generally going to be really good at content and SEO um, because you have to draw people to it in some way. And if you're, you know, if you're like paying for traffic, that's probably not the best way. So, uh, you know, being able to get them to uh, get to your site and then convince them to buy a product that is going to be in the way that you present it. I think it's really important too. I mean, because I have, I have some affiliate links on my site as well, but it's all stuff that I use. Mm. I would never recommend anything that I don't use. Um, I know there are articles out there and sometimes you'll see them, especially around the low end of the hosting market. You'll see like these reviews where it's like, we recommend like, you know, uh, some like $3 a month hosting. And it's, it's just, there's no credibility to it. Um, but some people, you know, shill for that. I, I think if you're going to succeed at affiliate marketing, it's best to kind of, uh, you know, you have to use the product. Um, you have to have some credibility there, but you, you know, have to present it in a way that's unbiased. And especially if you're doing a comparison against other products in the market, uh, I think you have to extol the virtues of the product that you're trying to sell uh, while being, you know, honest about uh, its benefits and its shortcomings. I, I think it all comes down to, you know, just being good with the way that you present stuff and, and, you know, having content besides just stuff where you're trying to, uh, you know, pitch <laughs> uh, your affiliate products. So, yeah, I know. Um, I know, Brian, that Kinsters, you revamped or uh, revamped your whole affiliate system. What What was, you know, obviously, um, I'm not asking you to share anything that's private. But um, maybe you can give some insights of why you re- decided to totally revamp the affiliate scheme for Kinston. What what was the decision making around that? Maybe um, part of it's uh, based on what we <clears throat> kind of know what affiliate marketers want, and being an affiliate marketer myself too, 
like I kind of know what I want. If I was like, if I use a product and I really love it, you know, I'll, I'll kind of go see like, Oh, do they have an affiliate program? Cause if I'm going to spend four or five hours writing a review on my blog, like I definitely need to get something back out of that. <laughs> I can't, I can't just write for free every night. Um, and so, um, the thing I always look for is reoccurring commission. That's huge because when it comes to affiliate marketing, passive income is really how you're going to be able to quit your job at the end of the day, if you're doing it full time. Um, and so that's what we, you know, added up in the Kinsta affiliate program. We have, you know, a payout for the signup. And then on top of that 10% reoccurring commission um, for the lifetime of the client. Um, and we are seeing a lot of the other hosting industries don't do the reoccurring part. They might give, huge payout one time, but they don't do that other part. And so um, we're trying to help affiliate marketers, you know, we call it profit sharing is this new kind of buzzword we're using. Um, we actually just launched our new affiliate page today. Actually, it's funny because we were working on that right before this. Um, but we were using the term profit sharing as in, you know, if you help us grow, you can grow with us type of a thing. Um, we want you to be successful as an affiliate marketer. Um, and so that's, we're trying to take a more holistic approach to it rather than just, you know, say, here's your 50 bucks. Thanks for signing that person up and they're gone. Um, we want to, you know, we actually form relationships with our affiliate partners. We know, you know, like them by name, we help them create banners. We, I chat with them on Facebook messaging. Like I know um, a lot of them in person um, even too. So it's um, I think getting to know your affiliates is, is, part that some companies leave out. Um, and you can be a lot more successful, I think, if you, if you do that part of it. So if you were kind of um, a, um, a theme or plug-in um, producer yourself, you've got a product in the WordPress community, have you got any kind of tips or, or insights about how they get started with affiliate marketing, Brian, and get some of these five, how do they find some of these 5% of the people that will actually get some results for them? Um, I think the first thing I use easy digital downloads, um, on my stuff. Um, I'm a big fan of all, all the stuff that Pippin makes. Like I just, <laughs> anything he makes, like I don't even question it anymore. Like take my money. <laughs> it might be expensive, but it pays off for itself, uh, over the long term. Um, and so I use the affiliate WP, which his team is also makes. Um, I can't, I can literally say I've never had a single issue in two years of using affiliate WP. Um, and that's what we use to market both of our um, premium plugins. And uh, Funny that's, enough, that's what I use. <laughs> that's what you, yeah. So it's, it's a great, anyone looking to get into it, um, I would say, you know, invest a little money up front to get a system that you don't have to spend any time troubleshooting, doing anything like that. Well, you can grow with. Um, it is definitely investment. Um, I know all the WooCommerce and easy digital download stuff, the prices have been skyrocketing, um, over the last couple of years. But, um, so the first thing is, I guess, find a good platform to integrate on your WordPress site. The second part would be, um, I guess probably just researching bloggers out there that you see are doing other affiliate stuff. Um, and just shoot them a cold email. Like, um, we do cold emails still all the time at Kingston. You'd be surprised by how many relationships you can still actually form doing it that way. Um, Twitter. I love Twitter too. That's another, you know, tweet someone, start a, a direct message with them going um, and see if there's something you can get going there. Um, it obviously takes a lot of work, um, but I don't think anyone in the affiliate marketing space will say it's easy <laughs> to make a living doing affiliate marketing. No, but what you're saying, what I'd to recap is um, email, um, social media, the obvious, but it does, you, you've got to kind of have denote time every day or every week to that outreach. Otherwise, not, not much is going to happen. That's basically what you're saying, isn't it? You do, yeah. And I even know that even some of the successful affiliate marketers that are doing it literally full time and making a lot of money. I mean, a lot of them are working like 14, 16 hour days, just doing that nonstop. Eventually they might quit, but you know, there it's, there's a lot of work involved because there's content, there's finding your affiliates, there's um, working out payout schemes, there's paying affiliates, there's the platform you're using. There's all sorts of stuff, email marketing, a lot that goes into it. Um, 
so tom you know the bit you've done have you found actually the emails that you send out and the wording um do you think that, that re- you've got to really do some a-, a and b testing on that does that affect it do you think tom um i mean yeah the emails definitely do although what i find is more important than the wording is the timing um and so you know you normally want to have some sort of like nurturing chain and then, you know, if you're not seeing engagement, you've got sort of your breakup email. Um, but what, we've, what we normally like to do is like, you have someone, they download, um, say, some sort, of, some sort of informational teaser product. Um, and then you nurture them, but they also put them into your regular email list. Um, and every once in a while, and so you maybe like once a month, you're sending them some summaries of different blog posts. Ideally, they're segmented somewhat. So you know, like what their particular interests are. But then, you know, maybe once every six months or so, you send them, um, you know, something else that might then get them restarted in that nurturing workflow. So what we find a lot of times that, yeah, the, the, the success rate of an initial uh, nurturing chain is normally pretty low. But then over the course of two or three years, um, you'll normally see about, so you maybe only about like a 3% with, you know, some of the particular things that we do, um, will come out of the first one, but over the next few years, normally it's about 15% that you can get them re-engaged. Um, and you know, and the thing is, you know, a lot of people say, yeah, no, I remember you gave me some great information years ago. We just hadn't hit that event that's driving us to make the purchase yet. Now we hit it two years later, you know, or it's becoming a more important thing and we've got that follow-up from you. And you don't want to be too, you know, obviously you don't want to be spamming, just spamming people, you know, but even, you know, send them something once every six months or something like that. Most people, you know, don't mind that. No, I think that's true. I think we're going to wrap this up now. I've really enjoyed the discussion. Some of the panel left because um, after the news section, because they're really busy and they didn't know too much about affiliate marketing. Others had business engagements that they had to meet. Um, So I'm going to let the panel that were part of the second half, um, tell you how they can be contacted i'm going to start with brian how can people find out more about you brian and what are what you're up to um i mean you can find me i'm always uh blogging over at at keensta.com or you can uh my marketing blog is workup um dot com or you can i'm always on twitter that's brian lee jackson Yep. And Brian is one of the nicest and people I know in his area, and um, he's very busy, but he um, he's approachable as well, folks. So um, I think if you've got an interesting question or something, Brian will respond. Um, Tom, how can people um, get hold of you and learn some more about you, Tom? Sure. Um, the best way to learn things is um, intelligencewp.com. Um, and if anyone is looking for better data to make uh, smarter decisions um, around their web efforts, um, it's a great free product to try out. Oh, it is. And they've, they've been very kind in sponsoring the WP Tonic. Um, but um, also, Tom, it, there's not much that Tom doesn't know about Google Analytics. He's passionate about it and utilize the plugin. But the great thing is you get access to Tom and his team which is um, fantastic value in its own right. And on to my friend, John Locke. How can people get hold of you, John? Well, you can find me at my website, which is lockdowndesign.com. And I'm pretty much lockdown design like everywhere, uh, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. How do people get a hold of you, Jonathan? Uh, before that, I just want to plug out to John. Um, John is a fantastic developer, but not only that, he really knows his SEO. So if you're looking for um, that combination of somebody that's a really great developer, but also has that SEO insight, give John a call because he's the right guy. Um, how to get hold of me? It's quite easy, folks. Um, and you can get us on the Facebook page. We started the group, done nothing with it, uh, but we'll be doing more stuff on the group and getting people to join it. And we'll be having some links on the website so you'll be able to join the group really easily because we love to get more feedback from our listeners in 2018. That That's one of our main objectives and um, to build a real community around the WP Tonic website and this podcast. Or you could try Twitter. There's WP Tonic on Twitter, or you can directly Twitter me at Jonathan Denwood. And finally, if you're really generous at the end of the year, is 
go to iTunes and give us a review because it, it really does help the show. I know it's a little bit of a pain, especially on a, if you're on the PC, but if you can do that, it really does. And the numbers have been going up and our position in iTunes has also been going up. So um, I'm very happy about Fins. We'll see you next week for another great roundtable show. I really enjoyed this week. Hopefully you did. And we'll see you next week, folks. Bye. Thanks for listening to WP Tonic, the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice a week.